if you have any sense of needing to be an actor to get back at your parents or to prove your success or to make people like you because you don't think you're likable, or if you're acting from any of this right now, as you hear my voice, allow yourself the possibility that you don't have to be an actor for any other reason, but that you love exploring this path. Part inspiration, part education, the whole artist with Courtney Rue. Be your best you. Welcome to The Whole Artist with Courtney Rue, conversations with artists about acting, purpose, and the journey to finding wholeness. I'm so happy to have David Elzey back on the show this season. I've been working with David monthly since December of 2019, and he has kept me sane this year. Through everything COVID-related, through breaking my ankle, through grief and loss, and even things like creating this podcast, David was there for me. I mean, I paid him, but he was there for me, and I really love him for it. He taught me to feel all the feels fully and to let them go. And this episode is all about letting go. Letting go of those audition nerves, letting go of your need for approval and control, and letting go of your ego's identity especially the one of actor. We use David's acting career and his transition into coaching along with my own personal experiences to explore these themes and more. If you like this interview and want to learn more about letting go, you can check out David's workshop on December 5th. It's a Sedona Method Masterclass in Letting Go. That's this weekend if you're listening when it's released. You can find the link for the workshop along with other interviews I've done with David in the show notes. David Elsey has worked in the field of consciousness, emotional health, and living an awakened life for the last 30 years as a teacher and coach for organizations and individuals. His clients range from the United Nations to the investment industry and individuals in all challenges of life, including COVID-19. He's one of the few global instructors of the Sedona Method, a technique for letting go and realizing our unlimited nature. He's a transformational speaker and performer at conferences and events worldwide. In addition to a 30-year successful acting career in TV, film, and on stage, David is also an accomplished author. You can find his most recent book, The Ocean of Now, on Amazon. And now, David Elsey. Hey, David. Thank you so much for being on the podcast again. My pleasure, Courtney. It's good to be back. Yeah, and I know in the first episode, we talked about how important breathing is as an actor. And if you haven't heard that, please go back and listen to that. But I wanted to have you back to talk about your acting career that you had in another lifetime, right? And (laughs) the transition from acting to coaching. And I think it will help actors, whether or not they want to transition from acting to anything else or, or nothing, if they want to stay being an actor, but just the thought of letting go or releasing this strict identity that we clutch onto of actor or entertainer. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about that today. Does that sound good? Sounds great, because it can certainly be a, can be a hindrance, actually, if we're so attached to the identity, because then when we're not working, our identity is threatened that it doesn't exist and we don't exist, and that cascade of negative thoughts about ourselves. So once we diminish some of the, the level of attachment to the identity of it, then we can be it just more freely and fully, which is our goal. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about in our coaching session the other day that I was struggling with my broken ankle, not being able to go on set and realizing that I had this strong identity of actor on Chicago Med right now. And we worked on releasing that and letting go and thinking about who I really am 
outside of my job. So that was really helpful for me in that moment. And I know that I've had to do the same thing several times in my life. So it's an ongoing process of releasing the identities that we create for ourselves. It is. And I want to be really clear with, with your listeners and with anybody, whether they are actors or not, is that we do have roles we play. So it isn't to act very high and mighty spiritual that I'm nothing, I'm nobody, you know, I have no roles. The truth is we play roles. The quest that we're on in the spiritual journey or the self-discovery journey is to play the roles, but know that who I am is more me than the role. I get to permeate my role with who I am, which can be emotional or quiet or still or all of my own characteristics. So the point is, you are amazingly, you have a great role in Chicago Med. It's awesome. And you can claim it and name it and enjoy it. But what you're experiencing right now is the risk of that is that because of what's happened to your ankle, that role that you so identified with can suddenly make you feel really depressed because you're not in mm-hmm. that role. So the discovery right. is who are you that played that role that still exists with or without it, that may even prosper more without the role. We don't know how things unfold, but we can't let them unfold if we can't be creative or find new avenues if we're so stuck in the attachment to any singular role. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's go back to when you became an actor. What was it that attracted you to the entertainment industry? Well, it was wearing my dad's clothes when I was three years old in the living room and everybody laughing at me. So <laughs> that attracted me. I don't know. You know, I didn't, I didn't say, oh, I'm going to be in the entertainment industry then at that point. I think it was when I was six when I said that. But uh, <laughs> Much later. Much later in my life. I had been alive a long time by then. Yeah. <laughs> but this is really an interesting point. I haven't thought about it too much. It wasn't like I ever decided I'm attracted to the industry. It's just who I have always been. But I didn't ever decide I was going to be an actor. That just happened. I went to Southern Methodist University. and I was in first elementary school, junior high, and high school plays. Yeah. I just was. I couldn't help it. And then in (laughs) college, I I didn't think anything about a career in acting. So I was in social sciences. But I was so bored. My, My linear thinking is really superb. I have a good brain but it's not my joy. So I was just bored as could be in the statistics classes and all of that. So without telling my parents, I left. Second semester of college, I quit going. I just didn't tell them right away. And uh, (laughs) I did try out for a play by a Chicago producer, Neighborhood Playhouse Theater. And I wasn't even in the department. I tried out and they, and he wanted me, which pissed off a lot of grad students, but he was a guest director. So I was in the department. I learned mime and I studied mime and I was fascinated by the body because I'm very much in my form, in my uh, kinesthetic life in a body Mm -hmm. and began to have a career in mime and then local acting. And finally, I told my parents I wasn't in college and they weren't exactly happy, but they said, you've always been creative. So just make sure you invest as best you can in it. Fool around, do it. So that began my career of local industrials and local commercials and stuff in Dallas, Texas, and would get a national every once in a while. And then I was moved to LA by somebody who was an agent, becoming an agent, wanting to start an agency. And he wanted me and about 10 other people in the country to go there. And we got there and within about six months, they had folded. So there I was in LA and I just kept going. I was an entertainment variety entertainer. I could juggle and play different characters and do the statue for hours on end. 
<laughs> so I was hired to earn my income as a variety entertainer while I was in between acting jobs. So that was my career for a long time. And while I was out there, I was on shows like the really quali- high quality shows like Dallas and um, <laughs> Knox Landing. Moonlighting. Moonlighting yeah. Bruce Willis. I watched that. Yeah. And I watched you on Mad About You. Yeah. So that was my high point. It was Mad About You and, a, and also a Hallmark kind of show on The Dreamer yes. of Oz. It was a very sweet, sweet movie. Yeah. So I played the Scarecrow in that, which was maybe one of my high points of just knowing I played that iconic role is meaningful to me. You got to use your mime in that, your physical character work in that. When you were in Dallas, though, you were the president of SAG-AFTRA, right? Right. That was when I was, I wasn't president. I was on the board. Okay. And because it's a right to work state, our relationships with producers was tenuous, but you know how it is. They're people, you know, and they're people Mm -hmm. you know, and they're friends, friendly. And we did pretty well. I think we did really well. I mean, organizing with National as well, but we had some good relationships and we did really well in the progressive nature of what we were able to obtain in a right to work state. So I'm proud of what we did. Good. And then we talked about this the other day when we were coaching. When you were on Mad About You, you said you were so nervous that day. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about your nerves? As no, no, no. I never have nerves. I was good. I, <laughs> no, no, no. That was a mistake. I don't know what I was talking about. Yeah, I was I was so nervous. I, I played a lookalike of Paul Reiser. Yeah. At the time, I had a toupee, and it was a very good one. It was done by the same guy that did Burt Reynolds at the time. And then Michael Jackson had little things placed in his receding temples. And this guy was really good. And so I had a toupee and it looked real good. And, and I looked a little bit like Paul Reiser. But I could use my hands. You can't, your viewers can't see it, but I could go like, I, I mean, I, if, you know, if I wanted to, I could, but, it, you know, so I could do that. And, you know, the uh, casting director liked it a lot. So he got me and my fellow actress who looked like Helen Hunt and we were on the show. And we looked like them and we were just smarter than them. And that's what- You were the better versions of them. That's right. (laughs) When we left, Helen Hunt goes, yeah, like that. (laughs) But sorry. It was a great episode. I really love that show. Thank you. Me too. That episode was actually supposed to be the third in the season. It became the premiere because people liked it so much. But to answer your question, I was really, really nervous. And when I watch it, I think I looked fine, but I was just nervous being on the I couldn't tell. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's probably like most all of us, right? When we yeah. when we're asked to do it, something takes over and we're doing it. Were you always nervous? You know, when you were acting. What's interesting is acting was always harder for me than mime. Mime has been a joy. Like even this morning, I do Facebook lives and um, every Friday morning. And you know what I heard in my mind last night was, David, enough has been said. There's debates. There's opinions. There's beliefs. Everybody's talking. And, Maybe do a Facebook Live purely without talking for 15 minutes. And I thought, I love that idea. Yeah. I'm really happy in not knowing and in silence on stage. And my mime study when I was 17 was with the teacher who was a mystic around silence and emptiness. And we become everything on stage because the stage is empty before us. So we are the universe, depending on how free we are. So my mime was very... Um, deep in its training, and it affected my performance as well as an actor. But I had more ego in acting. The risks were higher. You're speaking, you're creating a character, you need an arc, and all that stuff. And maybe I just like playing, so I wasn't as good a preparer. <laughs> so I was always a little nervous. 
You can identify. <laughs> yeah, I can identify. It is nerve wracking. I always feel like I'm more nervous. Well, in the past, I had been more nervous being myself, like singing in a recital or getting up and speaking in front of people as myself than I ever was as a character. Mm. I would get so nervous singing as myself, but not in a musical. That's funny. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Anyway. Because when we're singing yeah. or telling jokes or we're doing stand-up, there's a vulnerability in the sense of you're being judged for yourself. When you're doing a character, there's some level of detachment. Yeah, I can understand. Yeah. What was it about coaching? For me, I kind of hit a rock bottom in my confidence and I sought out a coach and that's how I got into the coaching track. How did you transition or what happened that you got into this industry of coaching? Well, I was in a play that started in LA towards my last few years there called Grandma Sylvia's Funeral. And it was like Tony and Tina's wedding. It's a participatory theater, environmental theater. And we did it, we wrote it. And a producer from New York saw it and, and brought us all to 21 of us to New York for a nice. off-off Broadway run. And with a special contract with Equity that he worked out. And over time, I did that show for almost seven years, six years over a thousand performances. We were one of the, we were bringing up the rear end from the Fantastics who had thousands of performances. So we did that. And at some point, when, you know, when I was doing that show for so many years, I just began to hear inside myself that my life is meant for more than the character. Who I am is more than Rabbi Michael mm -hmm. Wolf. I played a rabbi. And um, that's kind of perfect <laughs> that you played a rabbi. <laughs> Thank you. Baruch Hashem. And there was just a point where I really felt like the reason my body's on the planet is to do some work that's larger than this. And I studied the Sedona method technique of letting go and diminishing anxiety. And I really liked that. So I decided to begin to teach it. I didn't give up acting right away, but within about a year to two years, I transitioned out of that into teaching the technique called the Sedona method, which is the how-to of letting go. And so with time, I was teaching around the world in different countries and in Europe, and I had a decade, two decades of that. But within that journey, it became clear to me that I could have more of an impact if I really took my time and was pausing and quiet and present with an individual and let my intuition, my antenna, just take me really down deep into where the crevices were to unhook stuff. And so I had some clients, and then I just really loved it. I love relaxing, turning inward, and just listening and following my intuition with the tools and techniques I know, and helping people unfurl their tightened sense of being around their identities and, and fears and, and limitations. So I just kept going, and now I have a full overflowing practice, still teaching periodically. Um, in fact, I'm returning to teaching. On December 5th, I'm going to do a, an intensive immersion in the Sedona Method. So I'm excited to kind of move back into it after having a few years off from teaching. But that's how coaching got started. Nice. While you were still acting and being a coach, did you find that it helped you as an actor? Yeah, it did. It did because as an actor, we have to have a really, as much as we can, a full palette of colors. And I was afraid of anger. In fact, I remember this going back to high school. My, I was in the Rhymers of Eldridge, and it's a story about a guy who rapes this girl not because he was evil, it's just he wanted something in their world. And it was kind of innocent, but then it became violent. And I played that role. And my director was like, he said, David, you, you don't have anger. I, I, this role requires anger. 
And he started to, he said, you have to do this. I need to see that. And he started to trigger me, try to trigger me, like about my parents or about my life or about this or that. And I didn't get angry. And the role was fine. I mean, you know, people liked the play and all that. But that was a recognition that I still am verbalizing today that when we have fears of any one emotion as an actor, it means that color in the palette isn't really very available because we're afraid of it. Or we never express it and it comes out in the acting unbalanced because it's not coming from conscious usage. It's coming from the subconscious overflow. And so letting go of fear of the emotions that we carry as humans, whatever each of ours, our palette is, it becomes powerful to give us a better painting canvas and better um, number of colors. So it helped me a lot. And it's helped people that have been actors that have been clients of mine. Yeah, I know that that helped me a lot. You know, we kind of had a discovery that I had made up a story that emotions are dangerous. And you were like, yeah, how is that working for you as an actor? It's it's not. (laughs) So definitely releasing that and letting that go. Do you mind going into a little bit and explaining what the Sedona method is and how you use it? No, not at all. It's a series of questions. Uh, There's six different approaches you can take to your emotions and your feelings in everyday life. If you're in the green room or you're waiting to go either on stage or waiting to audition, We have anxiety, the body, the physiology says there's danger, there's risk. And so it sends adrenaline and shuts down your brain a little bit from the cortisol. And so our ability to manage that is really powerful. And so the Sedona method has six different ways to ask ourselves questions that diminish the hook, that diminishes the overflow of that emotion into our system. And so we can still manage and be in control of our stability, our clarity of mind. So those six ways of letting go go from asking yourself to let go in three simple ways. So for instance, it's verbalized like this. If I had the power of the universe, could I let this anger go? It's pretty much a yes, even though we don't want to yet, because we want to justify and defend why we're angry. If I had the power of the universe, yeah, I could. Would I consider the freedom that it could bring? Would I consider letting it go? So we're still not letting it go, right? But we're saying, yeah, yeah, I mean, I would like to feel freer and some relief from this anger and not be run by it. So could I? Would I? The last question is when? When am I interested in having a life other than run by anger? And this gets repeated. You repeat it over and over because what you're basically doing with love and care to yourself is you're saying, I am this, I'm angry is not doing me any good. In fact, it's hurting my body and my anxiety and probably other people. I am open to being freer of it. When am I seriously open to that? Or am I lying to myself? Am I really open to that possibility? Could I? Would I? When? Could I? Would I? When? What happens is internally in the brain, it begins to hear it's okay to have it. I could let it go. I am interested in letting it go. Huh. Right now might be nice. Let's try it. And over time, you know, five, 10 minutes, there is a relaxation. And the body-mind system says, it's safe. I'm okay without the anger. And it relaxes. So that's the entrance point of the Sedona method. And you go through different modalities. You can actually also work in opposites. The brain knows up and down, open, closed, hot, cold, good, bad. And we live that way, basically. The brain functions that way, safe, unsafe. So if you accept both, 
And the wording is, I allow myself to be angry or afraid. So let's say someone's going into an audition. I'm really nervous as much as I am, which again is just welcoming. It's loving. I am. I really am. Because if you're resisting it, what you resist persists. So welcoming it is the first step in releasing it. Yeah. In being free of it. You can't, you can't be free of something unless you welcome or acknowledge that it's there. It's like a crying child. If the child's going, <laughs> you're not really full and you're going, well, you be quiet. And it actually just makes the child <laughs> yeah. cry more. Right? Yeah. So our feelings are like that. They're going, I'm so angry. You know, I'm afraid. I'm nervous. So we have to say, I see you. I see you. And just that act softens a little bit your experience because you're becoming the mother or the presence or the awareness or consciousness of. While you're in it and spinning, you're not conscious of it a lot. You're just in it as if it's the only truth. And when you for a moment say, you know what, I'm going to pause, take a breath. I'm going to welcome and allow that I'm really nervous. That's the first step. And the opposite is, have you ever, so I'll ask you, Courtney, are you nervous at auditions sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Are there times in auditions when you've done really great? Have you felt good? Yeah. Yeah. So your brain, your neurology knows both that you've done well in auditions and sometimes you haven't. You've been nervous and sometimes you've done great. So holistic releasing, this approach out of the six says, I would ask you, Courtney, and anybody listening regarding your auditions, can you allow or welcome that you are nervous or you have anxiety as much as you do? Yeah. Take a gentle breath. Just become present. The reason the breath is important is because if we're spinning in the story, we're not here. And releasing or being freer of our emotions only happen when we're here. So, yes, you can welcome or allow that. The second is, can you also welcome or allow that you know that you've done wonderful additions in your time as well? Yeah. Or felt confident, let's just say that. Yeah. At times. And then we're going to go back and forth because what happens in your brain is it doesn't understand time or space or memories or future. So if you kind of trick it and you say, can you allow yourself to be nervous as much as you are? Mm-hmm. And can you allow yourself the confidence that you have had in your life at some point as best you can, just right now for a moment? Yeah. And we go back and forth. Can you allow yourself to be nervous and at home or whoever's listening? Can you allow yourself in auditions to be nervous as much as you are? I'm asking you too, Courtney, right now. <laughs> yeah. And then can you also allow the possibility of knowing what confidence feels like, like you have in your life at other times? Mm-hmm. Now allow nervousness as much as it is. Mm-hmm. And allow confidence just as best you can in this moment. But what's yeah. happening for you? You kind of have a smile. Just like going back and forth between like, even when you're saying allow the nervousness, I'm still like breathing and I feel myself letting it go as I am allowing it. That's exactly right. That's what happens. The metaphor is if a baby's crying and the mother says, get out of here, if you're crying, it's going to cry more. If the mother opens her arms and says, come here, child, come here, come here. 
automatically the child goes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's the welcoming presence that is our nature. We actually can welcome everything we experience, but we think we can't. And so when we do, there's a softening. Yeah. That's why you felt that. You had this little tiny smile. Yeah. And it's so simple, but it works every time. And it's so, it feels like magic. Yeah. It's because we're not used to it and we don't believe in it. That's why magic is so amazing. We can't believe it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Uh, Let me say this one phrase to explain the Sedona method. It's there, the Sedona method has ways to let go of emotionality and thoughts because that is our natural way. Our system is made to let go. We're not meant to have adrenaline all the time. It's actually not healthy. So the body knows how to let go when there's adrenal gland activity, then there's the countering of that afterwards. So we do let go. That's how we're built. But we've learned to hold on. So the Sedona method enhances your natural ability to let go. Mm, I've never heard you say it like that. So it's really interesting. And yeah, it's funny to think about, you know, we used to have the fear of the saber-toothed tiger attacking us, and that was really helpful to have that fear. But now everything coming at us with our phones and the TV and all of this input that we have, that we have the same reaction, even though it's not necessarily something we really need to be afraid of. Right, right. And we can, again, I said this at the beginning, Doing this doesn't mean you're letting go of your natural concerns, your heart concerns, the things that matter to you. It's just you're letting go of the the intense-sized suitcases and trunks of emotionality that we superimpose and imbue the experience with. We take all of this history, we make this moment, like the elections or the debates or racial justice or work justice. We have feelings that are true to us. But quite often we take our personal story, then we override everything with a personal story and it becomes about us, not even racial justice anymore or the pandemic or presidential election. It all becomes about me, 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 even though I'm saying, I don't like that. That shouldn't be that way. Mm -hmm. It's coming from a childhood story quite often. Right. And it's not that you're saying, I don't care about racial justice or injustice, and I don't care about the elections, or I don't care about um, human rights or anything like that. It's just, I am taking away the triggering story behind it so that I could show up in the present moment without a story, without it being about me, and take action in a much healthier way. Yes, the only thing, yeah, exactly. And I would only add that I look at our human experience as two-sided. One is an egoic side, an identity we've created by our experiences of life. We didn't do it, but it became an identity. And the other is, rather than just going into peace and calm and, you know, some spiritual bypassing, I also believe we are passionate, powerful people. Being. We are, the, we are nature itself. We are, we are the same thing that's spinning the planets. We're the same thing that creates a baby in a womb and gives it birth. We are the same creative force. So if I'm not contracting all of my creative force into my ego and fear, who I am that can have passion, deep passion, and compassion, and take action is even more powerful than the egoic reactive self that wants to speak out. And so... Right. You know, Martin Luther King, for heaven's sake, he had a lot of emotions, but 
he didn't, and I would say probably some of that was personal, but he had the consciousness to do it in a way that harnessed energy. If he would have just been violent as well, he would have been moving into his egoic sense of anger and rage and injustice and fighting against it and creating the same of it, more violence. But he had the power to harness his passion in a way that was creative. So that's what I'm proposing. We harness our love, our desire for humanity and equality, and we harness that because that's an instinctive aspect of our own being. So when I say spiritual or when I say letting go, I don't mean moving into apathy. Really, it's more empowering in my experience of life than the opposite. In the final analysis, our emotions, according to the Sedona method, which is what I found useful for the last thousands of hours I coach, is our fundamental fear is lack of survival. It's about control, approval, and security. And it's not realistic the majority of the time. Mark Twain said, I've had thousands of problems in my life, most of which never came true. So we live in these thousands of problems, which most never come true. But it's a survival instinct. And then in order to try to make ourselves feel more comfortable, we try to control people, places, and things, weather, uncontrollable things. And if you may notice, so in your relationship with Scott, Courtney, when you really want to control him and make him different, that really works well. What are you talking about? I don't, <laughs> I don't ever try to control him or make him different. I'm so sorry. I don't know who I'm talking to. I so apologize. I am an enlightened person. I, and I'm honored to be on your show. <laughs> but it's, you know, I mean, he, every, all of us, there's nobody that doesn't. I too have an impulse yeah. about people. I wish they were different. Or why are they doing that? Or, and that impulse is attempting to control them so that we can feel safer. And that can be real trickery too. It can be, it can be covert. It's like, no, I really like what you're doing. You know, you know, maybe if you kind of did this differently and what we really want to do is control so that we can feel better. Right. And then the other one is wanting approval. If people like us, we feel safe. And so in the Sedona method, wanting to control the world around us is a contractive sense. Our gut gets tighter, our chest gets tighter, our breathing gets shorter. And that feeling of wanting control actually diminishes our control, diminishes our freedom, our intelligence, our creativity. So we let go of wanting control and we discover we actually have more control. When we let go of wanting approval, like we lack it, like somebody has it and give it to me, that's because we don't have our own. And so when we let go of wanting approval, we discover that the approval we're seeking is resting inside our own being, inside our own heart. And that's what we really crave the most. We just think others will fill up that hole. So letting go on that level of wanting security or approval or control quite often quiets our anxiety to gain clearer thinking and and more creativity. When did you first realize that you had an identity of entertainer that you needed to let go? Did I tell you this story? Because this is an amazing story. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah but I want you to tell yeah, my listeners. I was thinking in my mind, well, oh, yeah, I remember that story. That's good. I'm glad she asked. But it was because in the Sedona <laughs> method, they used to have retreats. I mean, they still do, actually. They used to have a location in Sedona where they had them. And I remember going, it's probably in my late 20s, early 30s. <laughs> because I'm a mime and because I'm happy in front of people. We were releasing around a circle of 20, 30 people, sometimes 40, 50. But we all had our styles of letting go, tight face or, 
you know, <gasps> you know, we just had, we all had our unique styles. I let it go. It was very dramatic back then. It's not as much now. It's very simple now. I, I was really good at being a mimic. Mime means pantomime. Panto is a Greek word for all. And mime or mim, meme, means to replicate, to be the same as. So a spiritual, a really powerful, good mime can be anything and anyone. That's powerful. That's an amazing skill. And I just happen to have the ability to emulate people really well, to take them in, like simulate, assimilate them. So I would, at the end of the conference or the retreat, when everybody was really loose and happy and not very self-absorbed and open, we would do, people would sing or, you know, it was just everybody kind of give their gift to the, to each other. Yeah. So we would have a little- Like summer camp. Summer camp, that's right. Little group entertainment at the end. So I would say, okay, I'm going to do five of us. Tell me who I'm doing. And I would do it and people just cracked up because they knew who they were and we knew who they were. And I remember always being nervous. And people always loved me, but I was always nervous. And then during one of the retreats, speaking of identities, I realized we were doing releasing on roles and identities we play that supersede our own being, our own natural way. And I thought, well, holy smokes, I'm the entertainer and I keep having to fulfill that role with expectations and obligations. That makes me nervous. So I did some releasing on it, letting go of wanting approval and control and security. And when that popped, that feeling of freedom. It was so, it's hard for me to give words to it, but it was such an ecstasy. Because I walked onto this, I was, this is not a stage, but I walked in front of everybody where we were performing. And I remember feeling absolute peace. Now I knew what I was about to do. And so as I was doing it, it was so pure. And when they were laughing, I had such a high level of consciousness listening and hearing and tweaking and twisting just a little bit because it made them laugh more. And, you know, I was reading them. It was like I was unified with them. I remember thinking to myself, wow, without the role, I'm an amazing entertainer. Mm. And so I began to let go of needing to fulfill the obligation of what that means. So, you know, for your listeners to bring this home, if you're listening and you can hear my voice and I'm talking to you individually exactly who you are listening if you have any sense of needing to be an actor to get back at your parents or to prove your success or to make people like you because you don't think you're likable or if you're acting from any of this right now as you hear my voice in all earnestness with your own earnest heart that's been with you since you were born since in the mother's womb allow yourself the possibility that you don't have to be an actor for any other reason, but that you love exploring this path. But it's for you. It's not for someone else or against someone else. Take a moment. Breathe in. Hold it. Consider this is your path and no one else's. That's who you are. You're here expressing because it feels like the right thing in this moment. And just live that more fully without any role that you have to be obliged to fulfill. And now you're free to study, to learn, to expand, to grow, to become awesome in your own unique uniqueness. So beautiful. Mm -hmm. Can you tell people how they can work with you? Sure. My website is my name. It's davidlz.com. You can see it on the podcast, but it's E-L-L-Z-E-Y.com. And if you scroll down, you'll see how to be on my mailing list. 
And I really invite you to do that, number one, because I have, and number two is I have events that I offer. And they're various prices. One was 47, one was free, one in December's 97. And then there'll be others that are much more expensive as well that are longer and more in depth. But anything I do, you know, Courtney, anything I do is imbued with this sense of love for who we are and our, our amazing capacity to be marvelous. On my mailing list, you'll hear about these events. In terms of coaching, you can email me at david at davidelsey.com. But if you want to pick a time, you can go to my website as well. And at the very top in the navigation bar, it says a free consultation. And we can set that up and talk. And then we'll see if it's of value to you. There are times when my coaching practice goes in and out of a wait list. Right now, there's a few. But by the time this podcast airs, there might not be on the wait list. My invitation is to talk anyway. So I invite you to do that. And you can pick a time on the schedule. And lastly, in December, depending on when they're listening to this, Courtney, December 5th, 2020, I'll be doing the Sedona Method Immersion. I'm calling it a masterclass. So you can learn the essence of the Sedona Method and walk away with some tools. And I really invite you to do that as well. Those are the best ways that I can think of. And also Facebook Live, every Friday I do a a session. I call it Awakened Life TV. And it's always 20 to 30 minutes of exploring life's purposes exactly as you and I are, Courtney. And people continue to be inspired by that. So that's one other way that I can think of. Lastly, my YouTube has many videos. So it's not exactly working with me, but you can be inspired and get a taste of all that we're talking about here. Amazing. If you could describe your purpose in 10 words or around there, what would you say that it is? To know ever more deeply who and what I am so that I can radiate that and support others to do the same. Beautiful. Put you on the spot. I know. I don't usually do that. That felt pretty good. I'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's good. That's great. Thank you so much, David. I enjoy talking to you in any situation, whether it's at a wedding or coaching or this podcast. You're always a delight. Thank you for sharing your gifts with the world. And I appreciate you. Thank you, Courtney. It is always a pleasure for me as well. So take good care. And to all your listeners, I really wish them the best. Before I wrap it up, I want to share with you a podcast I have been loving. The host and creator is my friend and podcast accountability buddy, Dana Black. Welcome to I Swear on My Mother's Grave. My name is Dana Black, and in 2016, I lost my mom. And now I'm talking to other people who have also lost their moms. And I don't just mean in death, because there are so many ways you can lose a mother. And we're going to get into it. So... Let's talk about our moms. It's touching and funny and really relatable, even if you haven't lost a parent. Subscribe to I Swear on My Mother's Grave anywhere you find podcasts. That's it for today. If you have questions or want to leave me a voice message or support this podcast directly, go to anchor.fm slash Courtney Rue. Or if you want some perks to go along with your contribution, you can go to patreon.com slash Courtney Rue. David LZ, you're amazing. Special kudos to my team of editors and helpers listed in the show notes, my friends for your constant advice on the show, and most importantly, thank you to you for listening, for subscribing, for leaving a review. I hope you learned something, I hope you were inspired, and I hope you feel better than you did before you were listening. Talk to you next week. Be your best you.